Welcome to Team Luke for Minds Podcast. On this show, our mission is to help families just like yours. We'll bring you inspiring stories from brain injury survivors, advice from health professionals, and much more to help make the recovery journey a little easier. If you or anyone you know has a, suffered from a brain injury, this show is for you. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Team Look Up for Minds, Hope for Minds podcast. I'm Jared Samuels. And I'm Delaney Workman. And today we have Jamie Norman, who is the Director of Patient and Professional Relation, uh, Relations for Plasticity Centers of Orlando. So let's welcome Jamie. Thank you, guys. Thank you so Thank much you. for having me. Thank you. All right. So can you tell us your story? How did you become a part of the plastic centers? Okay. Hold on. Let me restart. Okay. I know, right? It's like, cause every, you see pla plastic is in there, you know, so it's a tricky <laughs> word. <laughs> okay. Can you tell us your story? How did you become part of the plasticity centers of Orlando? Yes, thank you so much for asking. Actually, I'm fond of that story um, just because my background is actually in international relations. So I don't have any, I, I never thought about medicine per se, right? Or the medical field. Um, and the reason that I chose international relations was because I, I, just I just felt that I wanted to contribute to this world. You know, I wanted to help people. And I thought that that looked like uh, you know, I had to go work for the UN or something, right? And so that's why I, I took that field. Um, but, you know, you graduate and life isn't exactly what you think it's going to be. <laughs> and so I ended up working somewhere completely different. It was at a, um, a cosmetic dental office in Atlanta. And I came across this group or they kind of uh, found me. It was a, it was a, it was, it was a phone call non-related to functional neurology per se. Um, and I, I kind of basically got a job offer, right? Um, just based on kind of like just, just my, my personality. And when I looked at the website and I saw who these doctors were and, I, and it was just the momentum because I was actually getting ready to go out and look for something, you know, different at that time. I'd been with this company for three, four years. And I, I just felt that I, I wasn't fulfilling my mission, you know, of what I wanted to do in terms of humanity. And the moment that I saw this group or, you know, what they were doing, there was said, okay, definitely want to check this out. And after my first week um, with them, it was actually what, what was called Grand Rounds Week. So it was about, I don't know, a hundred and something patients flying in from all over the world, dozens of doctors flying in from all over the world to, to observe. Um, and it was just the most complex cases that you can see. And, um, you know, the I hadn't had no idea what even functional neurology was. You know, I was still trying to wrap my head around what what they did, but all I saw was people walking in a certain way and walking out a certain way. And um, the moment that I realized that I could be even a little part of that, of changing someone's life in that way, there was just no turning back. Like I had found home, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's awesome. Uh, yeah. That's how we came to be, or I came to be with them, so. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Okay, so for those that don't know, what are the Plasticity Centers? Yes, so Plasticity Center, um, what we do here is functional neurology. And so um, it is a non-invasive approach to brain rehabilitation or optimization. And so it's helping us or helping the individual generate 
neuroplasticity in the areas of the brain that need it the most so mm -hmm. that the brain can reconnect. So the best analogy is like that it's like PT, it's like physical therapy, but for the brain. And another analogy that my doctor shared with me that was really great because I'm a visual person is that, you know, when he was explaining, he's like, Jamie, the brain, it's like a football team up there. There's no solo players, right? And so um, if, if one of the members, the team members or two or three or four are on the bench, right? Sometimes the, the, the rest of the team can keep playing, but they're gonna tire that much more easier. They're gonna start breaking down themselves because it's non-sustainable. Mm -hmm. So our job is to work on and help heal the players that are on the benches so that they can get back out in the field as well as give a little bit of love to these players who are now exhausted, who've been working in overdrive to compensate for their missing team members. Um, and that's basically what we're doing is, is just helping the team work together, um, be faster, better, stronger. And how that translates to each individual is be the best version that they can be, mm -hmm. right? Um, and Cause it's gonna look different for every single individual and mm -hmm. everyone's condition and everyone's circumstance, right? But how can we just maximize um, that potential and and um, that individuals? Yeah. And what is your role within the organization? So I work on the administrative side. Um, so basically it's like the practice administrator. Um, so it's a lot behind the scenes, unfortunately, because I love being with patients. <laughs> um, so, but I, it's, it's a great job because now I get to train um, my team in the front end um, on, on our patient, you know, interactions okay. and how we, how we go about our week intensives and extensives. And, um, and just in general, not just the front team, but all of the team, right? Just, um, it's more of the, it's the experience side of it. So yes, there's an administrative side because we know we have to, files and paperworks and communication and emails that have to happen. Yeah. But it also, how do we interact with every single person that comes through? Mm -hmm. And um, and what is, how are we gonna create the experience for each person? Hmm. So. And what, you know, I'm sure people that come in can be a little bit hesitant at first to try something new. What do you, what would you say to a caregiver who has, you know, a patient they obviously care about, but it's a little hesitant to try these new therapies. What would you say to them? Oh, yes. Um, I would say there is nothing. A lot of times for a lot of families, it feels like there's nothing left to lose, really. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and just reminding them of um, of that. I brought my parents through, not because there was anything, quote unquote, you know, happening, but just because I love them. Right. And so once I realized what this does, I'm like, hands down, my family, like everyone, right? Anyone that I want, um, that I love, I would want to, to bring through. And it turns out that my mother actually, her VOR was broken and she hadn't mentioned anything because she just assumed that um, losing your balance um, or you know feeling lopsided was normal with age. Um, but after mm -hmm. the week of treatment, it turns out she actually can walk straight still, despite the fact that she's in her seventies. <laughs> Um, so That's she great. Just, yeah, she assumed it was normal. And obviously, you know, it was, it was something and there was no, and that's the other thing is there was no injury, but you never know life, life happens in general and we never, right. It, mm -hmm. it could be something traumatic where it's very clear, or it could just be almost like Jenga. You, life just removes little pieces, you know, and we just never know until the wrong piece is removed. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we kind of break down. So, but that would be my, 
my biggest thing to care to care to let caregivers know is that I I have seen it firsthand what it can do for for people um, for our patients for our children and that there's really nothing left to lose because if it if it can't the biggest thing the big the worst the worst that could happen is that nothing happens right and so from that point forward why why wouldn't we mm-hmm. you know try especially when when we love someone mm-hmm. um, so yeah and that there's still hope yeah and i you know, i witnessed it firsthand that hope as long as there's hope and that effort you know um that hope brings them to us and then I, then i usually hear i wish i would have known about you sooner right <laughs> so, yeah. for sure yeah. So what do you see most often with patients or caregivers when they first come in? Um, like you guys mentioned, there's definitely a little uh, a degree of hesitancy. Um, there's a degree of, I don't want to say fear, but, you know, you're going into the unknown. So it's always going to be a little nerve wracking, um, especially our Mondays. And particularly if we have patients that are coming from different par- parts of the world or different you know, parts of the country. Um, it's a lot that they've done, right, to come to come over. And the biggest one is being hopeful without getting too, you know, your hopes too too high. Um, and so I think that's usually where they're where they're at, um, and they come in. And um, that's what we focus on actually a lot is to, and that kind of goes into, I think, some of the questions that you guys had. But that that goes into why we do what we do to just try our best to make everyone feel at ease mm-hmm. um, from the moment that they walk in. And typically it's a good week if by Friday we're all crying so, <laughs> because we're sad to part. Yeah. That's so great. Do the patients stay for a whole week or does it just depend on how much treatment they need? Or yeah. Like so normally it is a five day program. That is okay. kind of spot that they've determined that's enough stimulation to generate the neuroplasticity that we need, um, but not overboard. Some patients may may stay for two weeks, but normally it's it's a little too much because then it's too, like they can get overstimulated. Um, and actually everyone leaves with an at-home program. So everyone leaves with the tools and the training so that they can continue the momentum of whatever they did here at home. And we will customize like a mini version of their week treatment so that they can continue it for the rest of the, you know, their lives if, if they wish, basically. So, hmm. yeah. That's good. Um, so when people are in the program, what do you do to make them feel at home at your facility? Yes. So we just make sure that there's a lot of communication or as much communication as possible um, prior to arrival. So we're, we make ourselves very available. We're sending over information. Um, if there is any travel involved, we have like even complimentary travel agents, right? And it's just trying to think preemptively, what could a person need, right? And how can we make this as less stressful as possible? Obviously, you know, if someone's with a TBI or suffered a concussion, like staring at screens and trying to book your flights can be really painful, right? So like, mm-hmm. or, or we have elderly patients that are just like really overwhelmed with it. So like the travel agents, you know, come in handy for that. But usually a lot of times actually we'll just jump in and help book things <laughs> if necessary as well. Um, and then the moment that they come in, it's, we actually start with just like a little tour of the facility because I, I we find that if, if they can see everything and understand a little bit of what they're going to be doing before jumping in, right? It's like, how can we get them the most acquainted? And then it's little things of, 
if we are aware that there's noise sensitivity, we'll have like little earplugs ready for them, right? Um, or if there's light sensitivity, is if, especially if they're very sensitive, then we'll just that week the lights are pretty much off, right? In the in the clinic. Um, so it's always just trying to see what can we do to make everyone feel the most at home, um, because that is the most important thing to me and to us is that every single person is treated with the utmost respect. Um, mm. I think one of the biggest things, right, you know, that can happen, that we see sometimes is that um, it's almost like people become numbers, right? Like if when you're going through the system, it's it's almost like a, sometimes it can be another number. You know, the, the, the conversations are minimal. Like if you're, you know, you spend a certain amount with your doctor and that's it. And it's just like a few seconds that you have and you have to try to think like, okay, let me, I have five minutes with this doctor. What what's everything that I have to get out, right? To, mm -hmm. to, to communicate to this doctor, because if not, I may not see them again, right? Because they're in and out and then you're with nurses. And so um, even on that sense, we provide little notebooks to our patients so that they can write things down. And if they think of something later, write it down and ask us tomorrow, right? Like ask us the next day, like it's that thing, but it's so that every single person has a name and every single person has a story. And um, and every single person is, it's, it's a human to another human. Um, and understanding that they're, they're suffering, right? No matter the condition, they're suffering. And, and so what can we do to alleviate that? Mm -hmm. You know, in any way we can. Speaking of stories, um, you know, you talked about your parents. What other success stories or are there any that stand out to you that you've seen, you know, patient from the beginning to the end? Oh my God, where can I start? Like, it'll depend, right? Like, <laughs> pick a condition. Um, so. <laughs> So I know that being that um, we've we've had a few little patients from you know for like little kiddos I say like little children from a few organizations um, I know that there's one little kiddo he's like our little poster poster child when he came through I remember his family had kind of already reached a deadlock in terms of like therapies and different things to try and he had had an anoxic brain injury so he was a near drowning um, near drowning um, case and scenario and so they figured let's just give this a try right there's nothing left to there's nothing to lose and so um he went from being legally blind because um he had no control of his eyes not necessarily because of the vision per se there was just no motor control in his eyes so his little eyeballs were you know rolling all around his head um to now he has an eye talk device like an ipad like talking device oh wow. um and so that was huge i'll never forget the they did come a few times like once they and it was gradual because it's not overnight and it's not always like a magic it's not magic right so um after their first visit they saw increased like incredible improvement with tone with the spasticity um and then every so they they did come a few times it was like once a year right they would kind of come once a year and in between that, in between the, the the four times that they came or so, four or five times that they came. So in the middle is when we got some readings in our in our BOGs and our psychometry. So some of the diagnostic tests that we run, um, even though we, the first times we're like, okay, there's no readings, we would keep going because you never know, right? And that's exactly what happened is that on one of those, we actually got some readings and he's tracking. You know, and it's like the office is celebrating because his, his parents are in tears because he's actually tracking now. Um, and that tracking developed into like purposeful, in, you know, purposeful 
movement in terms of there's a sound, let me turn and let me look at the, the sound and let me look at my parents and eventually into his, you know, his talking device, his iPad device so that he can communicate. Wow, that's um, amazing. It's so awesome. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's one of them. But like, it's, it's stories like these and I can't share with you, like, oh, it's just all the different ones, right? From, from traumatic brain injuries um, to, to anoxic brain injuries, to degenerative conditions. Um, I, I can go on if you want. Like, I definitely have a few more in there. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, those that, that just make our, our, our day and just happy to be at work. Yeah, that's, that's definitely very rewarding, I'm sure. Um, so there's a, the last question we ask everyone is what are your top three recommendations? Uh, and you don't have to give three, but we usually say three, uh, for a caregiver of a patient with, you know, brain injury, traumatic, anoxic, either one. Yeah. Um, the first one is take care of yourselves, right? I think that's a big one. I, um, it's, a. Uh, I remember one of, uh, kind of a success story, but um, one of the nicest or most beautiful things that we were able to experience with one of the caregivers, the one of the mothers of our patients was that um, she had actually had uh, her first night sleep the entire night um, in rest, right? Resting because she was at, at ease, right? She didn't have to wake up and check on her daughter um, to make sure that you know, she was still breathing or, right? and. Um, that's huge. I can't, as a mom, like I can't just can't imagine, right? That the the amount of stress. Sorry, I get emotional just thinking about it. Like the amount of stress that the family members um, are are going through, right? Because this is your loved one, um, and so just take you know taking care of yourselves, um, and obviously pairing up with with um, the right people. Which I think that humans are so resilient, and parents and caregivers are so resilient. They become doctors themselves, right? With the amount of research that you're doing and, and they're doing usually, and uh, just going out there and communicating in Facebook groups. Um, and so, which is why it's so important that we care for the entire family, right? When they're here, it's like, we're really thinking of the entire family because if we can alleviate a little bit of stress during those five days, right? Um, but just to remember to take care of themselves. Um, and the the next biggest thing is that there is still hope to never give up hope mm -hmm. because I've, I've seen it with my eyes. Um, and it's usually the, I, I usually as commend as the caregivers, right? Because they're, they're still out there searching. And even when the doctors say, this is, as, this is what it, this is as best as it's going to be. They're still hunting and don't stop hunting and don't stop asking questions because locations like us that are, newer, relatively newer, right? Our fields like us or approaches like ours that are relatively newer aren't in the common day vocabulary yet, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's that searching and that hope that they, that glimmer of hope that will eventually lead us to places like ours. And I'm sure that there's so many others, right? Mm -hmm. um, that can provide help. So to just never give up hope and, and take care of themselves. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This is great. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for your time. Well, thank you. To chatting yeah. with you, maybe, Jared. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> thank you for listening to Team Luke Hope for Minds podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website, teamlukehopeforminds.org, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. See you all next time.